Well, we got started last week talking about uh, our, the first five of the lessons we're learning from John the Baptist. And those were, number one, that the growing comes before the showing. The, the fact that he was, uh, that John the Baptist grew and that he was out in the desert until the time of his showing unto Israel. And we found out that there's times where we may think that it's uh, uh, showtime, but the Lord thinks otherwise and tells us you need to stay right where you're at because it's still grow time. Amen. Number two lesson we learned was know who you are and know who you are not. John was asked, are you the Messiah? He knew he wasn't the Messiah. Are you this prophet or that prophet? And he answered no. Well, they wanted to know, well, now we know who you are not, then tell us who you are. And he was able to confidently and and, and, uh, explicitly tell them who he was, the voice of one crying in in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. We need also, like John, to know who we are and to know who we are not so that we're not trying to be someone we're not called to be. Hey, now. Number three lesson we learned was to be content to be in a supportive role. Be content to be in a supportive role. And one of the beautiful things about John, and we see this in a comment he made over in John the third chapter, that John was happy to be the best man for Jesus. Jesus was the groom and it was just fine with John to be the best man. And he actually made the statement, he must increase and I must decrease. John's whole ministry was wrapped around pointing to the one who was coming after him. All of our lives, all of our ministries, all of our uh, destinies in life have to do with this. We're pointing to the one who already came and we're pointing to the one who is coming again. I love what the the book of Acts chapter 1 says when the angel showed up when Jesus first descended into heaven. And you got all these people just staring up into the sky. And the angel said, why are you standing here gazing? This same Jesus will come again just as you have seen him go. Hallelujah. And this same Jesus is truly coming back again. Number four lesson that we see from the life of John the Baptist is to know when your time comes to an end. And we talked about the value of being sensitive to transition. Being sensitive to transition and knowing the importance of exiting one situation properly so that you can enter the next situation or the next chapter properly as well. And number five of the lessons we learned from John was to recognize Jesus and to speak the truth concerning him. We read a verse over in John 10, which was so beautiful because it was the people realizing this and saying about John the Baptist that all the things that he said about Jesus were true. And I want that to be our testimony as well, that we represent him accurately, that we speak the truth concerning him. That we don't cave to the uh, politically correct thinking of the day. And we don't cave to the, the, the popular idea that there's multiple ways to get to God. When we know that there is only one way and one way only to get 
to God the Father, and that is through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak what is true concerning him. And also to recognize him. See, uh, John recognized him as the Lamb of God. John recognized him because of instructions he was given from the Lord that upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, he's the one who baptizes in the Holy Ghost. So John was able to recognize him as who he was, the Son of God. And there's a need for us to recognize him as the Lamb of God, as the Son of God. As a matter of fact, you can recognize him as your healer today if you need some healing. Whatever he is, you can recognize him as that. And and, and reach out and grab that and and enjoy that blessing in your life. And today we're going to start... On uh, lesson number six from the life of John the Baptist, and that would be to live an influential life. Number six is live an influential life. Open your Bibles to John five, and we're going to get started there. You know, uh, uh, there are everybody does both in some way or the other. Everybody gets influenced and influences to some degree, and and so. What we need to pay attention to is who's influencing us. And then we also need to pay attention to uh, the fact that, that we are influencing and how we are influencing others. And of course, with, with God, understand this, that, that this is a basic principle. And we'll see it a little bit later in our message today. But uh, uh, as goes the root, so goes the fruit. So if you, if you want the, the process to get started right and you want to be a good influence and a godly influence to other people, that's going to start in the root of how you're being influenced yourself. So when you get yourself influenced in the right way, then you're equipping yourself to influence others in the right way. Uh-huh. Amen. All right. John chapter 5. Let's go there. Take a look at verse uh, 33. We'll start there. This is Jesus speaking about John. And he says this. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He, being John, was the burning and shining lamp. And you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. I want you to know that just like John the Baptist was a burning and shining lamp, that we here today are also called to be burning and shining lamps for the kingdom of God. I remember the words of Jesus over in Matthew five sixteen, where he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How important that is for us to be influential in the way of shining the light. For us to be a burning and shining lamp. Reflecting the light of the Lord. As a matter of fact, you remember, we read it last week, and in John chapter 1, where it describes John the Baptist and initially introduces him, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And then it says, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. And I want you to know that John and us ourselves, we we are called the, the reflectors of the light. Jesus is the light, but he also referred to us as the light. Why? Because he's inside of us and what he's got is inside of us. And therefore we can reflect him and represent him 
to the world and be influential for the kingdom of God. Let me show you several ways in which John the Baptist was influential. This is just really amazing. First of all, he, uh, John had the opportunity to be influential even in a king's palace. You might think, how can a guy who's out dressed in the, the wild outfit he was dressed up in and out preaching in the desert and out by a river, uh, how, how can he exercise any influence in the, in the king's palace? Well, that's what happened well, when, when the blessing and the favor of the Lord is upon you. Your influence can be far-reaching as well. But John, it, it is said over in Mark 6.20, I want to read this to you. Uh, it says that in Mark 6.20 that Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and a holy man, and he protected him. Actually, he had to protect him from his own wife, to tell you the truth. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Actually, there's uh, several other translations that says when he heard him, he was greatly disturbed. And yet he still did hear him gladly. So, you know, it's interesting that, that John's words, that John's voice could actually rock the palace, could actually rock the king. And so much so that the Herod would fear him and that when he was a prisoner, that, that Herod actually looked out for him and protected him because he knew he was a just and holy man and actually heard him gladly too. But the thing is, is that he, he was hearing him gladly, but he was being greatly disturbed by the things he was saying. Because the things he was saying were confronting and addressing things that, that the king needed to fix and unfortunately did not fix. But I gotta tell you this, what, what a, what a blessing for us to realize that we can be influential in the same way that John was. And to think about this, that, that just like John may have said some things that disturbed the king, sometimes when you're being influential, you're gonna disturb some people. You know, trying to. It's just the truth is what the truth is. And when you're a reflector of the truth and a representative of the truth, the truth exposes the lie. And so when truth starts exposing the lie, when truth is being lived out and represented and pronounced, it makes some people uncomfortable. It makes some people fidgety a little bit. And that's all right. But you can't back down on the truth. You can't back down on the truth. But there are times when you're going to disturb some people. Why don't you go to Luke 7? Let's look at some other uh, uh, areas of influence that uh, uh, John had. My goodness, glory to God. Luke chapter 7. And at this point, Jesus had actually got done speaking to the multitude about John and really making a great affirmation of the, the ministry of John the Baptist. And then in Luke 7, verse 29 and 30, it says this, And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Now, let me read that to you out of the New American Standard Bible. It says, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, 
they acknowledged God's justice. Or in other words, that they admitted that God was right. <laughs> Having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Now, first of all, you see that John did have influence and that he had influence on the tax collectors. Tax collectors were hated in the day because tax collectors, typically speaking, were Jews who were considered double agents. They were Jews, but they were collecting money for the Romans who were uh, basically uh, 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 stationed everywhere at, at that time. There was the time of the Roman Empire. And uh, the, the tax collectors, what they would do is they would collect the, the taxes to give to Rome, but then they would, you know, charge $6 instead of $5 or $10 instead of $8 because they had to get their cut too. So their agreement with Rome was, hey, <laughs> you just make sure we're getting what we need to get. Anything you get on top, you get to keep. So therefore, tax collectors or publicans, as they were called, uh, were, were very, very hated people in the society of that day. And yet these guys, these slimy guys who did such a thing to their people, heard the message of John and responded. They were influenced by the message of John the Baptist. But we also see the importance of having a, a, a soft heart and allowing ourselves to be in a position to be influenced by the Lord. Because it also says that the Pharisees and the lawyers, the way the New American Standard uh, reads it, is that they rejected God's purpose for themselves by not being baptized by John. Which means they had the opportunity for influence. The influence was there. God was trying to reach them, but they rejected that influence. So we see this, we see the value of living a life that influences others in a godly way because we saw how John's message influenced those tax collectors of that day. But we also see this, we see the value of never allowing our hearts to be resistant to his influence because by these Pharisees and lawyers being in a place where they resisted the influence of God through the ministry of John the Baptist, they ended up rejecting God's purpose for themselves. What a sad state. Allow yourself to be influenced by him. Never be to the point where you allow yourself to grow hard and you reject the influence of Almighty God in your life. Whether he's just bugging you Inside your gut about something and you know it's him and you know he's messing with you and you know he's talking with you. Be sensitive to that. Go with that. Be obedient to that. And you know there's times where God will mess with you through somebody else. That's one of the great reasons why everybody needs a pastor. Because the pastor is our founding pastor. Pastor Sam Smith would say also gets to serve in the ministry of a pester. And God can use your pastor to pester you about something. You say, how does he know that? How, how can he preach something that seems so pinpointed to my life? 
Because God just has a way of taking the word, one word that's being preached, one message that's being preached, but the Holy Ghost has an ability to customize it to the needs of everybody in the house. Don't ask me how he does it, but I know he does it. (laughs) Hallelujah. Talking about influence, let's continue here about John's influence. Remember, um, you can write down this reference, Matthew 21, 28 to 32. Jesus was telling a parable. He said that there was a man who had two sons and said to the first, go work it today in my vineyard. And he said, no, I'm not going to go. But then he ended up regretting saying that and he did go and work in the vineyard. He said to the second son the same. And the second son said, sure, dad, I'll go. But he didn't go. And Jesus asked the question, which one of these did the father's will? It was the first one. It was the one who at first said no, but then had a change of heart and ultimately did. And then Jesus went on to say this. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. So think about the the scope, the sphere of John's influence. That there was a king influenced by him. That there were tax collectors influenced by him. That there were the girls walking the streets influenced by him. What a mighty, mighty ministry. And to think about this, that the Lord's calling on us today to to, uh, get ready for some more influence. I was reading Isaiah 54 this morning, came across verse 2 that talks about uh, 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 lengthening uh, the the border of your tent and uh, stretching out your, your boundaries. As a matter of fact, why don't I just read that to you real quick? It's too good not to read, especially along the lines of influence. It's Isaiah 54, 2. If you don't get there, that's all right, because I'm already there. Just write down this reference. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Ah, and let them stretch forth the curtain of your habitations. Spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. Why should you enlarge the place of your tent? Why should you enlarge the place of your influence? Because if you do, then there's more people that get to be touched by your life. More people that get to hear what God's done inside of you. And what God is saying and doing through you. Be in a position where you desire to be more influential. But of course, to be influential to others, don't forget, it's all based on how you're being influenced. If you're being influenced the right way, then you can influence others the right way. But when you're not being influenced the right way, then you can't influence other people the right way. Because whatever's in you is going to come out. So take care of the root. And then you take care of the fruit. The root is how you're being influenced. And what kind of influence you're allowing in your life. And therefore, the fruit of that is going to be the same. Good influence coming in. Good influence going out. Yeah, amen to that. So we see John and the sphere of his influence that he had. For, for, from kings in the palace to, to girls walking the street to, to the, 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 the crooks that, that were ripping off the people of the day. He, he had influence for the up and out down to the down and out. From the uttermost to the guttermost. He had influence. 
Now, uh, check this out. Why don't you go to Luke 3? Let, let's continue this, this train of thought here of John's influence. When influencing people's lives, be prepared to answer the question, what shall we do? When influencing people's lives, be prepared to answer the question that people are going to ask you when they say, what shall I do or what must I do? Luke 3 verse 10, it says, so the people asked him, that being John saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to him, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Be prepared to answer the question, what shall we do? On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we see God moving and speaking through Peter in such a powerful way. And then in Acts 2.37, you got the people saying, what must we do? And then you see Paul and Silas being delivered by praising God at the midnight hour, coming out of that Philippian jail and having such an influence on the keeper of the jail where he says in Acts 16.30, what must I do to be saved? So when you influence people, you get them asking questions like, okay, what do I do now? What's my next step? And the beautiful thing, 1 Peter 3.15 in the King James Bible says this. It says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that lies within you. Come on now. Be ready to give an answer. When, when, when you're touching people's lives and influencing people and they say, all right, what do I do now? What's next? The scripture says, be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks you a reason of the hope that is within you. Be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. Let me ask you a question today. Do you have disciples? See, we think about Jesus and his disciples. But an interesting thing noted in the New Testament is that John had disciples. And I have a question for you. Do you have disciples? Now, I'm not talking about something strange. I'm not talking about you getting 12 people to follow you around everywhere. <laughs> well, what I'm talking about by disciples, do you have people in your life that you are influencing? People in your life that you could be uh, in, in one way or, or the other mentoring and bringing along? You know, um, why don't you go to John? You're in Luke. Go, go to John chapter 1. I want you to see this. Do you have disciples? My, my, my. John chapter 1 verse 35 says this. Again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. 
the first thing you got to do with your disciples or the people who are under your influence or, 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 or the people that you're looking to, to bring along and show the way, the first thing you have to do with them is to point them to Jesus. You have to. Because you ain't that smart. Despite how smart you are, you're not that smart. We all have an obligation and the people that we're looking to bring along and influence and mentor and direct, we can't point them to us. We got to point them to Jesus. Go to John 3. John chapter 3. It reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul where he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Which... Uh, signifies the, the flip side of that is if I'm not following Christ, don't follow me anymore. <laughs> hey, John 3, take a look at verse 25. It says, then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. So here's his disciples coming to him and wondering about this uh, Jesus. And uh, verse 30, look at the, the beautiful word, and we quoted it already, but how powerful it is. He must increase, but I must decrease. As part of his response to his disciples, once again, pointing them to Jesus. And how important that is, because you see, when your heart is right, that's what you're going to do. You're going to direct those who are under your influence toward Jesus and not towards you. Because the Bible warns about people who want to direct the influence of those under them towards themselves and not towards him. Let me read this to you. Listen real good. This is Acts chapter 20. Uh, starting with verse 28. It's 28 through 30. It's a warning being given by the apostle Paul. Listen, he said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, listen, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. So be warned. Be warned in two ways. First of all, don't be one of those. Because I'll tell you what, we got a pastor around here who is protective of the sheep. So if you're a wolf, he's going to beat you with a stick. Mm-hmm-hmm. But then besides that, we need to be wise not to be drawn away by people who are just looking to have their own little gathering and have their own little following. It is so vital, and you got to get this. The idea of having disciples is not to have your little group of click, your, your click or your little group of people. And, you know, so, so I, I got my own little click of people that I can share my great revelations with. You know, uh, so many people can take that idea and go so many different directions. If it's not about Jesus, it's wrong. If it's about you, it's wrong. If it's about anything else, 
you can get into trouble. When you're having people under your influence, you have to point them to Jesus. You have to draw them to Jesus. You cannot draw disciples after yourselves. That gets off track in a big hurry. Mm. All right now. Hey. And one last thought as we're closing up this particular lesson. The importance of living an influential life. Let me share this with you. That John actually uh, taught those who were under his influence how to pray and how to relate to God. It's interesting over in Luke 11, 1, I'll just uh, to tell you what it says there. It's right in the beginning of the chapter. It's the first verse of the chapter. It says, it came to pass that as Jesus was praying in a certain place, that the disciples came over to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples. And I say to you today, what are you doing with your disciples? What are you doing with those under your influence? You've got an example to follow here where you can teach them to pray. Teach them how to pray properly and how to relate to God. Can I hear an amen? amen. Well, let's go on to another lesson today. Lesson number seven is this. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to confront. Don't be afraid to confront. Hallelujah. We see this. You can write this down over in Matthew 3, 5 through 9. That uh, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees started coming to John's baptism. And he addressed them very strongly. As a matter of fact, you know, he wasn't being cute when he called them a brood of vipers. Because here's the thing, what he picked up on is that they were coming around, but, but they weren't coming around for the right reason. He told them, yeah, you, you're coming here in, in, in the, the baptism line, in the repentance line. Go ahead and bring some fruits that are uh, meat for repentance, one translation says. Or, or really, if, if you're really repenting, show me some evidence of your repentance. Show me how your life's been changed. Show me how your life's been influenced. Don't just give me empty words. Show me some fruit. Give me some evidence. And so we see John here in Matthew 3 where he was confronting the Sadducees and the Pharisees, which is not an uncommon thing because the one for whom he prepared the way, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his ministry, did a whole lot of the same. And there are times where you need to confront You're not called to be judges, but you are called to be a fruit inspector. You're not called to be a judge, but you are called to be a fruit inspector. And when fruit is bad, fruit is bad. And when fruit is bad, it's because the root is bad. Well, well. We also remember, uh, that uh, John actually confronted the king. He confronted King Herod. Because there was some wife swapping going on in the royal family. And so you see, Herod got hooked up with his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. And so John actually said to the king, it is not lawful for you to have her. And that didn't go over real big with her. 
As a matter of fact, she had a grudge against John and, and the, uh, the ultimate martyrdom of John the Baptist was due to her and her absolute rage against him for making that kind of statement. Because he confronted. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter uh, 3, 19 and 20 says that John confronted uh, Herod for all the other evils he had done. Not just for the one particular instance of the, the wife swapping going on there. But, but he confronted him about all the other evils he had done. John was a confronter. And so you might hear that and say, all right, well, that's good enough for me. Then I, I know some people I'm going to go give a piece of my mind to. <laughs> to which I say, whoa, horsey, wait a minute. <laughs> Listen to this. Why don't you go to Matthew 7? Hey, hey, hey. See, someone's getting real excited. Pastor Ray said I can have disciples. And Pastor Ray, I said I can go ahead and, and just bust some people up that I've been wanting to bust up for a while. That, that's why I'm pulling the reins. I said, don't, don't let the horse get away now. There is a time to confront others. But in order to do so in the proper way, you've got to first confront yourself. Oh, you had to go there. Yes, we did. Matthew 7, the words of Jesus start with verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, someone say first. Remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly To remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is not telling you to not get the speck out of your brother's eye. He's just putting it in order. He's telling you what to do first. He's not telling you to not uh, address that thing with your brother or sister or confront that thing that's in their eye. He's telling you what to do first. First, get the thing out of your own eye that's there. Because for you to confront and for you to confront people in the proper way that God has called us to do, you have to do so in a way where you see clearly. And if you got something in your own eye, you do not see clearly. So therefore, the idea of confronting is not to release you to go ahead and give pieces of your mind to all the people you want to give a piece of your mind to. Until you don't have any pieces left. But, but the, the desire of Almighty God is for you to be able to confront the, the man in the mirror. The woman in the mirror. The person you look at when you look in that mirror. You confront them. You make sure that everything that might be in your eye has been removed. That's your first and your primary responsibility before the Lord. And then, when you see clearly, you can go ahead and confront things in other people's lives. But it's, it's interesting because after you're done confronting yourselves, you got a little more mercy on others than you would have otherwise. Because otherwise, you'd have been quick to pull the trigger. 
But then when you take time examining yourself and confronting yourself, you say, well, (laughs) if I'm going to be that quick to pull the trigger on somebody else, Lord, I need to reconsider that because I deserve the trigger myself. So it's, it's something so important for us to confront ourselves first. And then we're in a position where God can use us to address things in the lives of other people. And I'm not talking about making yourself a, just a, a pain in the behind. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about a, a genuine uh, opportunity for you to speak into somebody's life. Not everybody has opened the door for you to speak into their life. You don't have a platform necessarily to speak into everybody's life. But there is a genuine scriptural side of confronting. First of all, yourself and dealing with other people and helping other people to see some things in themselves that they may not even be able to see themselves. Sometimes it's hard for us to see things about ourselves. Sometimes it's just, it's easy to see it in somebody else and hard to see it in us. So it's interesting. I'm just a firm believer that when you confront yourself, you become more merciful. When you confront yourself, it changes your perspective so that when you confront others, people, you're doing it in a loving and a merciful fashion rather than looking to slam somebody. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Oh, yeah. All right. The next lesson. The next lesson, this is lesson number eight we learned from the life of John the Baptist. Get burned with fire or get baptized with fire. Get burned with fire or get baptized with fire. You're in Matthew 7. Go to Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Glory be to God. Get burned with fire or get baptized by fire. I think I know which one I'm going to pick. I think that's called a... A no-brainer. One time I got so excited and I was trying to say no-brainer and I said, that's a bro-nainer. <laughs> Matthew 3, verse 10. says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire first of all let's talk about the axe are you bearing good fruit that's been kind of a theme of our day today hasn't well you know it's the the good news it's up to you what kind of fruit you're producing in your life it is up to you The fruit is determined by the root. Where do you have your roots? See, uh, what kind of fruit you're producing is up to you. So you've got some some say-so in the matter, whether you end up getting burned with fire or baptized by fire. 
You're not just a, a victim of fate and said, well, I'm just this way and there's nothing I can do about it. No, you've got some say so about it. Because you can plug yourself in to the roots of God Almighty, his word and his spirit and his kingdom and start bearing the right kind of fruit in your life. But where do you have your roots? That's the question. Because it means the difference between a fruitful life or being thrown into the fire, as John said. Let's talk about another instrument here. He talked about the axe being laid to the root of the tree. He also talked about, uh, talked about the winnowing fan. And what this was, it was a, 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 a shovel with which harvested grain was actually tossed into the wind. And the whole idea was to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. Uh, what was uh, useful from that which was not useful. So this winnowing fork or winnowing fan, it would actually toss uh, uh, the grain up in the air and, and, and the, the real light stuff would blow away in the wind. It was probably something that they waited for the right conditions to do it. Obviously, you couldn't do it on a calm day. But when the wind was blowing, they could actually toss it up in the air. And that, that light stuff, that non-useful stuff would blow away in the wind. And what would come back down is what was useful, what could be gathered into the barn. So the stuff that blew away from the wind, the stuff that got separated, John said, got burned up with unquenchable fire. I know what fire I want. I want, I, I want that, that, that man that John talked about who baptizes with the Holy Ghost and fire. Because you see, I know that that fire is not going to be the end of me. I know that fire is not going to be that which consumes me. There's a different purpose for the fire of Jesus than that other fire that John was talking about. And whether you are a tree producing good fruit or a tree producing bad fruit, whether you are wheat or chaff, you have the power of decision to make who you're going to be, who you're going to be rooted into. And therefore, what kind of fruit will you produce? So you want to be chaff? Well, I'll tell you what. It's not a happy end for the chaff. The chaff gets burned with unquenchable fire. You want to be wheat? Eat your Wheaties. That's what I got to say. <laughs> Make the right choice. Now, let's understand something about the fire of God. Hebrews twelve twenty nine says, our God is a consuming fire. John described Jesus on the Isle of Patmos. He, he talked about his eyes like flames of fire. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, Malachi prophesied both of John the Baptist and Jesus. He said, behold, I send my messenger before me that he may prepare the way. Talking about John the Baptist. And then he goes on to talk about the Lord who has suddenly come to his temple. He's talking about Jesus now. And he refers to Jesus as being like a refiner's fire. And the whole purpose of this refiner and the refiner's fire, as Malachi goes on in that third chapter, he talks about the purpose of it, which is to purify. 
Now you see the purpose of the other fire John was talking about is to burn something up. Bring it to an end. But the purpose of the fire that Jesus brings as the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire, his fire is a pure fire. Can I hear an amen? amen? So when you choose his way rather than getting burnt, you can get purified. You know, the beautiful thing, Jeremiah described the word as a fire. And Jesus happened to say, now you are clean through the words which I have spoken to you. Why? Because that fire purifies. That fire cleans out impurities. When something goes in, like precious metals go in and stand the test of the fire, all, all the, the, uh, what, uh, the, the impurities are, are burned out because of the intense heat. And when it comes out to the other side, it's pure. That's the fire I want, not the fire that'll burn me, not the fire that'll bring me to an end. Not unquenchable fire, but fire that'll purify me. Glory to God. You know, uh, uh, Luke 12, 35 in the uh, God's Word translation says this. Be ready for action and have your lamps burning. Be ready for action and have your lamps burning. That's Luke 12, 35 in the God's Word translation. Romans 12, 11 in the message. Another interesting little nugget to take with you. Romans 12, 11 in the message Bible says this. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. One way or the other that you go, you get fire. But the purpose of that other fire is ultimately our destruction. But the purpose of the fire that the Lord brings is for us to be purified and come out as pure gold. Hallelujah. I know what fire I'm picking today. How about you? And the last one of these lessons in the life of John the Baptist is this. Take your doubts to Jesus. Take your doubts to Jesus. Let's see. Why don't you go to John 1? John chapter 1. Take your doubts to Jesus. I, I, I want to read some scripture here. And I want you to read it with me. And I want you to, to really see this and get this. You see, because here, here's the thing. We, we have this picture of people in the Bible always having their halo polished. And, you know, looking all holy and saintly and stuff. And we, we, we don't see people in the Bible as human beings like us. Guess what? They didn't have halos. They were people just like us. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. 
I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. Now, go to Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11 and take a look at verse 2. The scripture says this. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Pretty interesting, huh? When you read John 1 and you read that back to back and you see the absolute certainty of what John is saying in chapter 1 of the gospel of John. And then you read this, a statement uh, that that he sent through uh, several of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Seems like a strange question to ask when he was so certain. And how many of us have had times in life where we were so certain about something, so certain about our, our faiths or so certain about uh, uh, the, the character of God. And then something happened along the way or something didn't quite happen the way you thought it was going to happen. Or there's some kind of disappointment or something that knocks your feet out to put your feet where your head was a minute ago. And then suddenly the thing that you were so absolutely positively sure about, you're not so sure about anymore. What do you do in those moments? Well, the good thing is that the question, the doubt or the the question that John had, he took it to Jesus. Look at verse 3. Uh, Actually, verse 4. Look at Jesus' answer. He answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Let's keep on reading. Verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now here's John right after bringing his doubts 
to Jesus. Did Jesus slam him? Nope. As a matter of fact, you know what Jesus did? Jesus affirmed him. Jesus affirmed him. You know what Jesus said to John? In essence, he said, John, I believe in you. Isn't that a beautiful thing about the character of our Lord Jesus? That you can come to him with your doubts and with your questions and he's not going to slam you for having them. As a matter of fact, he's not looking to slam you. He's looking to affirm you and he's looking to answer your question. As a matter of fact, what's the reaction of Jesus to a doubter? Let's close with this. You know, over Matthew 14, Jesus was walking on the sea. All the disciples in the boat in the middle of a crazy storm. And uh, they, they looked and they thought they were seeing a ghost at first. But then they recognized it was Jesus. And the, uh, Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, let me come out there and walk on the water with you. And he said, go ahead and come. And of course, Peter started walking and you know, he started looking at the, the, the winds and the waves and, you know, the, the effect of the wind, obviously, you know, and, and how rough it was and how stormy it was. And he got afraid and started to sink. He started to doubt. And, of course, the, the, the thing that's always interesting about that is, uh, is the reasoning there is flawed because you can't walk on the water on a calm day either. So, you know, the, the fact that he was worried about the winds and the waves. It's like, man, what's the big deal? You can't do this when it's perfectly flat, calm outside. But that's another point. But, but as he's going out there and he gets fearful, gets to doubting and starts to sink, what does he do? He says, Lord, save me. And so what did Jesus do to this doubter? Did he leave him there to sink? No, it says Jesus stretched forth his hand. This is the heart of Jesus. Today, if you've got doubts, if you've got questions, and you've got disappointments because certain things didn't work out exactly how you thought they would work out, John may have had a different idea of what Jesus' ministry was going to be like. And then when Jesus actually showed up and started his ministry... John said, well, that doesn't quite fit what I had in my mind, how I pictured it was going to be. I mean, we're just speculating, but that could have been the case. Where, where you have an expectation and that expectation is not met. Or you think it's going to be a certain way and it doesn't quite happen that way. What do you do with your doubts and your questions? Take them to Jesus. He can handle it. He doesn't get offended. As a matter of fact, you know what he does to the doubter who's sinking? He reaches out his hand. And today, he reaches out his hand to you. Glory to God.